good week here. I just enjoyed celebrating the 4th of July. Um, I, uh, I kind of dressed in red, white, and blue today to celebrate a little bit, if you can see that. But I was trying to still be a little festive, so I haven't quite gotten over it. I might have gone to bed before the fireworks hit and missed them somewhat, so I had to still celebrate today. Um, we have a, I think we have a memory verse here. We can get to it. Uh, I trust you guys have been working on your memory verse, so if you want to practice with a partner, I'm John 1.12 here. And we'll come back together and pick on one of you for in a second here. I'm going to practice with someone. I might have stayed in there a little bit, but 
the uh, the last hole was one of those where you had to like get it up the hill and it would go in the ball return. And so we played. If you got it up the middle, you got like one stroke, and one on the other side it was worth two for the tiebreaker. So I lined it up and I was going for the target. I didn't manage to get up the hill all the way. So it turned out if Greg would just hit it in, he would win. And but he, he nailed it right at the center. And but it, it was a good humbling experience for me. I didn't exactly win. I think Greg's a better golfer. So but we had we had some fun out there. I don't know if that really is golf putting, whatever you want to call it. But. Anywho, well, we took we took a break from ASK last week to kind of review some thoughts from the pastors' conference and talk a little bit about uh, our building situation. We're going to jump back into ASK today. We're on uh, ASK 19 this week, so why don't we pray and then we'll jump in the Word here. God, we thank you for this morning. We just thank you for. God, you love. We thank you for your church. We're thankful to be a part of it this morning. And we pray you speak to us. I think you sense you're on the move in this church, and I think you want to move in each of our lives. I pray that your word would touch our hearts and convict us and encourage us this morning uh, into action and into our hearts being turned to you. We pray that you'd really speak through your word to each of us. Amen. All right. If you want to turn to page 1099 in the House Bible. We're in Acts 19. It's a long chapter, so I'm going to read through it, and then we'll pull a couple thoughts out. The title is Consecrate Yourself, so that's kind of the theme we're going to take today is just making ourselves holy and consecrated before God, and a few thoughts related to that. All right, Acts 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sreka, a Jewish chief, priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit asked them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord was held in high honor. 
Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About this time, there was a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He brought them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we received a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is the god Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristophanes, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, don't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is a guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed their goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are co-counsels. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in the legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Well, there's a lot there. Hopefully we can pick out a couple points that relate to our church and our situation here that we can take home today. It's funny when you look at this chapter, the whole city gets in an uproar of these people obeying the gospel. And I think the first thing that, that struck me when I look at this, we'll just kind of skip down to verse 13. And we're going to be... I'm just that title of relationship with Christ and consecrating ourselves. In verse 13, it says, Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say in the name of the Lord Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And then it talks about that the evil spirit jumped on them and the man and, um, and said, You know, Jesus I know, and I know Paul, but who are you? 
And I was stuck in that that um, Jesus wasn't here just to make a name for himself, but he desired a passionate relationship with people. You know, if he was here just to say the name of Jesus is great and you call on it and things will happen, I think there would have been a different result there. They would have called on the name of the Lord Jesus and he would have worked. But I was struck that um, even the evil spirit said, I don't even know who you are. I know who this Jesus is. I know who Paul is. But who are you? And I was struck in that that God desires a passionate relationship with each of us. He didn't come to earth just to make a great name but he wanted us to be with him. And I thought about that as it related to this chapter. A lot of it talks about people coming from idols. It's that God wants to get to know us. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to get to know him. Um, Not just use his name, but really be in a relationship with him. I think sometimes I think of my own prayer life. And there's some days, honestly, I can go to God. And I'm not trying to relate to him and get to know him. But I go to him just asking for things. And I think sometimes my prayer life can be, I, I have a set of instructions and I know how to, I think I know how to get something from them. And I think sometimes it can be like, you hear about those old um, myths of you'd get a genie lamp and you'd rub it right and the genie would come out and you could ask things of it. And I think sometimes I go to God thinking, if I, if I rub this just the right way and I ask just the right way, I can get something. And I think God's not, God has taught me over the years, you know, I'm not that interested just in you asking for things and, and doing it as much as I want to get to know you. I want to reveal things to you. I want you to get to know my character. I want you to get to know what my love is like. And often I, I'm like just someone that wants something. I'm just asking, I'm just asking for the next thing and, and sometimes I don't even go back and thank him. And it struck me that God is just wanting to have this passionate relationship with us. And uh, along the way, I think, sometimes we can think of God as just someone that has all these rules, and we have to obey them. I know there was a time where I would look at God's rules, and I would look at my life, and I'd say, there's so many rules. There's so many things it says to do here, and this is a standard I can't live up to. And at times, I just get bitter and think, God, how, how did you make a standard like this? It's a beautiful thing, but I've got this flesh, and I can't live up to it. And I would just get bitter and say, I just keep doing bad things, you've got all these rules, and I don't know how to live up to it. And along the way, I think God really showed me, it's not about, he spoke to me, it's not really about rules and obeying and not obeying so much, but God, I want to be passionate with you. I want to know you, and I want your heart. And he really spoke to me saying, um, you know all these rules in there, those are things that take your heart away from me. Uh, I talked a lot later in here about idols, but it can be just things that are drawing our heart away and, and God would tell me the most the hurtful thing to Him is that when we go after these things we'll go after the things of the world it's that our heart can't be in both places at once either they're, they're over here and they're in the things of the world they're in the things of our flesh or they're given to God and God clearly speaks to us I want your heart I want your whole heart so the, the next section I find interesting is after this bring that up because it talks about there's a lot of sorcerers in here that were giving up things to be close to them. Um, verse 18 says, Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number of those who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. 
When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So these men, um, their trade involved these scrolls, probably something to do with uh, the goddess Artemis and sorcery and all this. And they'd seen that God's way and this were different and it was an idol that was drawing them away. And I appreciate their example that they came to openly confess their evil deeds. They brought what they were doing and they confessed it. And they even went as far as they brought their scrolls out and they burned them all. And it looks like even in kind of in broad daylight, it says publicly, in the verse 19, it says they burned them publicly. Even in front of people, they showed these are my evil deeds, these are my sins, and they burned it to give obedience to Christ and honor to Christ. In the same way, um, we need to turn, we need to confess and turn from our sin. That was, I think, the big holdup in these guys' lives is that they had the sorcery, obviously, and they turned from it and came. I thought, a few things in my life over the years, God's called me um, to answer something. Man, we have things in our life that are keeping us from the Lord. I think one thing that, that came to mind, um, I had a problem with alcohol previously in my life, and I, I stopped drinking when I turned 18 and started following Christ because I thought it was a sin and, and I waited until I was 21 because I thought that would honor Christ because it was you know, it's illegal in our country to not drink until you're 21. So I started drinking again when I was 21 and it seemed like a good thing. And along the way I kind of realized that that drinking, even from before I'd really been following Christ, had kind of a foothold in my life. And I drank a lot, you know. Some people can drink and have a beer and for me it was like if I drank it would be a six pack or more sometimes. And it was kind of a blind spot in my life because I thought I had it under control. I didn't drink and drive. I didn't do some of these things. Along the way, God started convicting me and saying, that's something I want you to give up. And I had some men in my life started to speak to me and said, you know, you have a lot of the patterns of alcoholism. And there was even a family history, but I tried to rationalize and I knew someone else that drank more. I knew someone else that was worse at it. And eventually God called me just to give that up completely. So about five years ago now, I, I just made a commitment to the Lord and said, you know, if I could choose between alcohol and you, God, I'll, I'll choose you. So I, I chose to give up drinking as kind of an idol that was in my life. So I, um, I told Rich, you know, I think God called me into this, and so I'm going to give up drinking. And that was five years ago, and I haven't had another drink since. And God just blessed that because I confessed this is a problem. It's a sin. I called it sin, and um, God blessed from that. I think this other examples I think of even things that throwing things away that cost money is when I went to college they suddenly had this uh, the first time I had that high speed internet thing it just came came right in you could get anything you wanted that fast you know when I was younger we had to dial up the phone and it was really slow and there could have been good stuff out there but it's too slow to care and I got bored so it wasn't a big problem but when I went to college you could just download whole music CDs and I think that first year of college when I was in there, I collected hundreds of CDs because you could just download them so quick and you could make your own copy of it and have it. And uh, It was great. I loved them. And somewhere along the way, God convicted me that that was stealing. And he wanted me to turn from that. And so I, I, remember it, I remember it vividly. God called me to it and I said, I didn't like it. I liked those CDs, but I wanted to obey God. So 
I pulled all these CDs out. It was a stack about this big. It was about 300, 350 of them. I was living in this fraternity for the summer. I walked down the hall. I was kind of dragging my feet. Sometimes you need a little help. You start, you get convicted, and then you're dragging your feet. So I went down the hall to my small group leader, Tom, and I said, I'm thinking about throwing all these out because it's peeling. What do you think? He said, I think that's great. So I went down the dumpster, and I threw away 300 CDs just to obey God. I think God was to call us to turn from these sins. And even this example here, I like that sometimes it's going to cost them. Some of these men, that's probably their trade. That's where they earn their money. These souls are probably worth money in that city. They probably could have gone out and sold them. It, it puts a dollar amount on there. I think it good amount of money. You know, we're talking thousands of dollars in our money worth of souls. They just burned up. Um, they didn't try to sell it just because they wanted to obey God and burn those souls. The next question I want to ask, um, I think we could each just ask this question in prayer this week. Lord, is there anything drawing my heart away from you that you want me to confess and turn from? And it's easy to it's easy to read about these guys and go, yeah, good, burn those scrolls. It's easy for me to think about things I gave up in college five years ago. But we need to have soft hearts and say, Lord, is there anything that has my heart today that's drawing me away from you? I think so many times my heart just wants to stray to something else. You know, whether it's some of those things I talked about, whether it's watching too much football for me can be a, a struggle during football season to get really into it and read all the articles about it and um, to check our hearts freshly. And God might want to speak to us. And I think sometimes we can even ask people if there's any blind areas, anything that we might be blind to, might be sharing our heart, kind of like someone shared truth with me on, on drinking that was kind of a blind area in my life. There can be things that we can just, people might share truth or we can even ask for truth. I think my wife Sarah, when she was single, a few years back when she moved to Denver, um, she was at one point just convicted, yeah, just convicted, was wondering, boy, my wardrobe might be needed something that I just submit to Christ. So she asked uh, the woman that was discipling her, she said, why don't you just come into my closet with me and see if you have any different thoughts than what my clothes are, if there's anything that's not honoring to Christ. So she took a gal in there and kind of shed light onto the situation, and I think they tossed a few things and heard. So it was a good example of even bringing someone in and saying, what do you see in my life? Is there anything I'm missing here that you might see? And I think God's honored when we try to bring it into light, confess that we might have problems, we might have sin. God will speak to us and honor that and be ready to use us. Um, the next section in here talks about after they do this, there's a great work of God going on. There's people burning scrolls, there's people turning and saying the word of God is spreading and giving in response to people burning idols. The word of God is spreading and God's moving. And in the midst of that, it talks about there's no small disturbance in the city of some fire coming back at the disciples, specifically to Paul. And it talks about later, you know, starting verse 24, that this Demetrius was astrayed from selling idols to go offer to Artemis. Starts to get a little irritated here that Paul's making such a stir, and it might start to hit his business, his livelihood, and he wants to hold on to that. 
And I was just thinking about, in the midst of that, when God starts working, a lot of times opposition is going to come. And the next point just relates to that. Doing God's work will bring opposition. We're going to have enemies. When God starts moving, no matter what the cost, people don't like it, Satan doesn't like it, and there's a backlash. And I think in the midst of what God might be doing here, there might be a time of opposition coming, at, coming. but the next thing I put is that it doesn't give us a pass. We need to continue to do God's work. These um, men went straight in continuing to, to define these things, call down idols, be burning this stuff in the midst of that. And opposition doesn't do anything for us. I think of when I started following God, I received a lot of opposition and backlash in my life. I had these patterns in a life I'd been building for 18 years and was into a lot of drinking and immoral relationships. And I had a way of life set out. And in a short time, I started turning things over to Christ. I started giving up things. And there was a lot of people close to me in my life that started telling me I'd gone too far with this whole thing, that my church was probably a cult because I was making all these changes. He said I was just way too radical. I was deceived. My dorm floor, actually, I had a, my freshman year of college, I had a longer beard, and they started calling me Jesus, kind of in a mocking way, and they put these pictures up on the floor, because I was kind of a, a Jesus freak on the floor or something, so they put these pictures on my dorm floor, and it was just a crude floor. They'd have pornography night, so they'd just get the floor down there, and it was just, a, it was kind of an awful <laughs> floor and, and they would just mock me for following Christ. In the midst of that, God said, you need to keep following no matter what is going on around you. It didn't give me any kind of path to say, God, it's hard and they're mocking me. I'm just going to lay low and not do it, but I had to kind of fight through that. I think the same thing might be true for us. I think there's a lot going on in this church that God might be calling us into and it relates to a building and, and new things this summer that might bring opposition. You know, we might start, we talked about last week, we're looking at a building kind of right in the middle of islands down there at 33rd and Tejon, and we're going to set up a church. And, you know, maybe you think a lot of people in the neighborhood are going to be excited and gung-ho and want us there. It could be. My experience is a lot of people might get a little agitated. They might, they might not like it there. It might kind of crowd their area a little bit, but... There's some places where you can get alcohol and stuff right across the street. That could that could not be popular, but God's going to call us to be moving into that world anyway. I think one one verse I didn't need to turn there, but just there related to it in John three, um, verse nineteen. It says, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And I look at that verse and think it's a lot like this and it's a lot like what God called us to do. There's men in the darkness that have evil deeds. I know I had evil deeds, but I didn't want a flashlight shown on. I didn't really want people to know what my sin was, what my problems were. And I just revolted against that for a while. And I think that's some of what the enemies here were doing. They loved their evil deeds, and they didn't want to be in the light, and they opposed it. And the contrast of that is that whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, even voluntarily, so their deeds may be seen plainly that they've been done through God. 
So there's that contrast of we need to come into the light, but there might be opposition to people that are in the darkness. And that light is kind of like when you've been asleep all night and someone turns on the light, you kind of can't see a thing and you don't know and it's bright. In a lot of ways, God's light is like that to people, and they just want that light back off. Eventually, it's going to help them you know, get up in the morning and walk through, but it's not necessarily a pleasant thing, and they don't want it. And I think it's that way. Uh, one of the themes in this is consecrating ourselves to the idol, and I think that's what God was calling these people to do, to get the idols out of their life. And in response to that, God seemed to do a great work. I think there's a lot of examples in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, that leading up to something big, God called the people to consecrate themselves, to remove sin, and then He did something big. And a few examples I thought of was, we all know at one point God spoke to Moses on the mountain and sent down the Ten Commandments. Right before that, He talked to Moses and He said, go to the people and consecrate them today. You know, in sight of them, before he worked, leading up to that, he wanted the people to remove sin, to commit themselves freshly to the Lord, and to be his. Um, Joshua. They get the Ark of the Covenant back, and they're going to go through the Jordan River. And before that, in Joshua 3, he tells the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. In kind of a lead up to God working, he says, Consecrate yourself. God's going to do amazing things. And there's a sense that he wants the people to get their hearts right before God works. In Joshua 7, there's this battle going on. It's kind of skipping a few stories, but it's a, it's a constant scene. And they're asking for the Lord to help on their behalf in the fight. And in Joshua 7, it talks about wanting to, but they need to remove. Um, things that they had stolen that he told them not to they need to consecrate themselves and then he'd fight on their behalf and they do that and he ends up fighting and they win that battle um, one more example in 2 Chronicles 29 Hezekiah is opening the temple back up and he calls together the priests and the Levites that are going to run the temple and he says listen to me consecrate yourself now you need to consecrate. And in verse 11, he says, Do not be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to minister to him, and to be ministers. And there's a sense that when God wants to work, he wants to prepare his people. He wants to prepare his church. He wants to be in a close relationship. He doesn't want people that just set a call on a name in a vague way, like the people that got jumped upon in Acts 19. But he wants us to know him, to be close to him, and take out those things that are between us so that he can work through us. And in these sense, these were all places that God specifically told the people, you need to concentrate yourself and then I'm going to work. And there are specific things that he told them to do. And Acts 19 is a good example that might apply to us that I don't see anywhere that God came down from heaven and had this revelation that said you need to get rid of idols because I'm going to work. But the people heard, heard God's word and knew that idols weren't something that God liked and they obeyed. And I think in the same way with us, there may be a time where I think it's just sensing that God might be doing something big in this church and there might be a way that he wants us just to voluntarily look at our lives and see if there's anything that's not pleasing to him. 
so that like this says, it says, after they did this, it, and I said, I've that the word of the Lord spread widely. That God's word would spread, that he'd bless. And there's just so many things going on this time in our church, but I think we'd all like to see God bless. I think of his building. I think we're going to be praying soon about if there's some temporary meeting space in between when we meet here and when we can get in that building. We're praying about getting the gospel out on Wednesday nights, going door to door. We're taking mission trips, like Jeff talked about, to Kansas and up to Washington. And we want to be a church that bears fruit. And I think God wants us to be a church that bears fruit, but He wants our heart. He wants the heart of this church. He wants the heart of each saint. He wants my heart so that He can work through us. And we can schedule some of these things on a calendar. We can set up a place here or down the street to meet the church. But God wants people that are consecrated and set apart for His purposes. You might want us to consider even today, how can we set ourselves apart? Is there anything, whether it's as a church, there's things we have that He doesn't want us to hold on to? I think there's probably a lot of things in our own hearts we can search ourselves. We can ask God to reveal us and men and women in our lives to reveal that God might want to speak to us on. But I sense, I think a lot of us sense God's on the move and there's something big going on. I think there's a lot going on with the gospel, there's a lot going on with building, and God might want to bless. So we're just praying that He would bless, and I think this is one way we might see that, is if we voluntarily just give things up to His glory. So I just encourage you to pray about that this week and see if there's anything the Lord speaks to you on. I'll be doing that too and just see if the Lord has anything even in the next week that He might want me to give up and change in my life. But let us pray and that this is the Lord. God, we thank You for today. God, we do thank You to be a part of Your bride, the church. God, and, and You wanted this to be just like a bride walks down the aisle in a white wedding dress and is clean and pure. You desire Your church to be like that. God, to be something free from defilement and free from sin and it's white and you, you pay the price for it. I just pray you'd help us be a church that's turning and just removing um, sin from in our midst, God, from each of our lives. We thank you that you do a work, you know, a cleansing work, even make us white and forgive us. Help us be people that in return honor you with our lives and what we do. We want to grow and just being people that are obedient and useful to you. We want to be a church it's useful to you right here in the city, God. We pray you each make us each people that are ready to be used by you, ready to give things up, ready to obey. And we pray you would bless this church, the building moves with disciples, the blessing of the church and the mission trip. Help us be ready and at your disposal this summer and in coming years. Amen. Alrighty, well we do thank you for coming today. We'll be back here next Sunday. We encourage you to join us right down at Tejon and 30th there on Wednesday night at 7 for outreach. It sounds a little scary, but we're just going to knock on doors and meet a few neighbors and see if we can pray for anything in this neighborhood. So if you haven't checked that out, I encourage you to join us, and we will see you next week.